Hey, good morning, everybody. I was just back there looking at the crowd, not paying attention to where we were in the service, and I had to run to the back and grab my Bible. <laughs> so it's great to be with you today. Hey, especially if you're a guest, thanks for being here, and I want to welcome everyone who's joining us online. Thanks for tuning in today. If you got a Bible, grab it and go to the book of Hebrews and find the 12th chapter. Hebrews chapter 12 is where we're going to spend some time today. And while you're doing that, let me just talk to you briefly about a couple of things. First of all, once again this week in your bulletin is this One Life commitment card. This One Life initiative is a huge part of our ministry moving forward, and really it's a One Life recommitment card. Last fall, we rolled out the One Life initiative, the idea of every one of us identifying one life in the network of our lives that is someone who is not living in a right relationship with God and then being committed to do three things. Number one, develop a friendship with that person. Number two, discover their story. And then number three, discern next steps or prayerfully consider how God might use us to share spiritual influence with them in a way that causes them to pursue Christ, to point their life toward Christ. Now, uh, we just wanted to use the new year as a way to reinforce that commitment, and so we're asking you to just make uh, a recommitment to the One Life ministry. You can do that by uh, checking, I have identified my One Life, writing that person's name there in that box, and then if you have a specific prayer request, maybe you're already in the developing a friendship uh, stage and you've got a prayer request, write that down. If you're somebody who hasn't yet identified their One Life, then check that bottom box and write your name there. And we're going to continue to pray over these cards. We did this last week, but the problem was because of weather, not a lot of you were here last week. And so we're going to emphasize this again. And here's what I need you to do. I need you to do that today. And as you leave the worship center, drop this card, just fold it or whatever you want to do, drop it in a card. In, uh, drop in a box, rather, that's outside the worship center. We'll put it on the prayer life wall, and we'll be praying about these commitments. This is a big deal, and I want to really encourage you to do that. The second thing, <clears throat> we're less than two weeks away from Night to Shine. Night to Shine is Friday, February the 8th, and it, of course, is our annual prom experience that we throw for special needs people. We'll have over 300 uh, special needs folks as our guests, and we need hundreds of volunteers first off, and we've still got lots of spots open. So if you haven't volunteered to serve at Night to Shine, then we need you to go ahead and do that now. Save us a little bit of stress. We always come down to the end needing volunteers, and the people who are serving in leadership are uh, stressed out about that. We always get the volunteers, but don't, don't wait to the last minute. Just make that a lot easier on those folks. You can just log on to the website and sign up to serve in a variety of different ways. But one of the things we also ask every year from our folks at church is that you be willing to purchase a gift card to help us with Night to Shine. And there's two options this year. On a table in the commons, you find these cards, and on the back, it explains what we ask you to do, either to purchase a $25 gift card to Texas Roadhouse or a $25 gift card to Chick-fil-A. Now, Honestly, if you could pick up more than one of these cards, that would be great. But, you know, whatever you can do, we would appreciate it. Here's the really cool thing. If you want to do the $25 gift card to Texas Roadhouse, you can do that right here today before you leave at the script table in the commons, in the back corner of the commons, because we sell one of the gift cards that we sell back there is a gift card to Texas Roadhouse. So you can take care of that today. In the commons, there's a round table. Pick up one or more of these cards and help us out 
as we continue to plan for Night to Shine. And sign up to serve because it takes hundreds of volunteers to do this and we need your help. All right. Uh, This is week two of a brief New Year's study called Straight Ahead. What I'm doing is taking three weeks to talk about some things that we need to focus on in this new year, maybe I should say refocus on in this new year, to make sure that we're moving straight ahead in our lives toward the life that God has called us to. We began last week by looking at a very brief passage in Romans chapter 12. We talked about the need to renew our minds in this new year, in particular to renew our minds in three areas. Number one, with the way we see ourselves. Number two, with the way we see others. And number three, with the way we see our circumstances. But I'm going to continue this weekend to talk about something very important. I'm going to talk about the power of persistence, which is absolutely essential to the idea of making progress, moving straight ahead in our spiritual lives as well as every other part of our life. I think probably most of you would agree with me when I say that most worthwhile accomplishments are not the result of our first effort but our willingness to try and try again. For example, I read recently that healthcare professionals say the greatest predictor of a smoker's ability to stop smoking is that they have tried and failed at least once before. Rarely, they said, do smokers successfully quit on the first time, but those who quit for a lifetime are those who have the determined persistence to try again even though they have failed in the past. The same can be said about any area of self-improvement, whether it's losing weight or improving your health or on and on and on. The key to success is persistence. And that's definitely true when it comes to our spiritual lives as well. Here's the bottom line. People who create lasting change for themselves are people who have the courage to keep trying and no matter how many times they fail, they never give up. They persevere with persistence. And so here's what that means uh, for all of us in the beginning of this new year. If you're someone who is bound by things like bad choices, if you're someone who is bound by bad habits, addictions, repeated failures at the hands of the same old sin over and over and over again, what I want you to know in the beginning of this new year is that you still have hope for a life of victory. It's still possible for you, but only if you're willing to embrace the power of persistence. And that's what brings us to Hebrews chapter 12. So, if you've got your Bibles open to that passage and you're able to, go ahead and stand with me for the reading of the Scripture like we always do. We always stand in reverence and respect for God's Word when we read the Scripture together. Our passage is pretty brief, just like last week. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. You follow along as I read. Therefore, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance, another word for persistence, with perseverance the race marked out for us. And let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before Him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. All right, there it is. You can be seated. We always ask God's blessing on the reading and the hearing of His Word. Let's just talk about these verses, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Right from the beginning, I see 
the power of of persistence in these three verses in three separate things. This is not the outline on your handout, by the way. This is still a part of the introduction, but you should write these down. The first thing I see is, or the first area where I see the power of persistence is the way the passage begins with the word, therefore. Look back at verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 12, begins with the word, Therefore, and here's what we need to understand about the word therefore. Whenever you encounter in the Bible, it is almost always a bridge that leads us back to what has just been written. Whenever you encounter the word therefore in the Bible, it's almost always a bridge that leads us back to what has just been written. Now, I don't know how familiar you may be with the book of Hebrews or not, but Hebrews chapter 11, the chapter right before where we began to read in Hebrews chapter 12 is one of the most famous and well-known passages in the Bible because it lists for us what many people refer to as God's hall of fame of faith. God's hall of fame of faith. Turn back there for just a moment. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 begins by giving us a definition of faith. Hebrews 11:1 1 says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That's a great definition of faith. In fact, read it with me. Let me hear your voices. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And then after that, it goes on to list example after example of men and women who lived by faith. And one of the consistent qualities connected to these examples of faith is the quality of persistence. And so what we learn in Hebrews chapter 11 is that faith and persistence are inseparably linked. Faith and persistence are inseparably linked. Say that with me. Faith and persistence are inseparably linked. That's an important thing for us to understand as we think about how Hebrews 12 begins with that word, therefore. Well, let me just give you one example of how faith and persistence are inseparably linked. Look down there at Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8. That's where we begin to read about a man named Abraham. When we first meet him in the Bible in Genesis chapter 12, he's Abram, but God changes his name to Abraham. Let me just read the first uh, little section of Scripture in Hebrews 11 about him, beginning in verse 8. By faith... Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham even though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, how would you like that to be the way someone describes you? He as good as dead, but, and he as good as dead came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sands on the seashore. Let's stop right there. God used Abraham in a powerful way to unveil his plan for the world. And it all began, Abraham, God used Abraham because Abraham was the father of the Jewish people. You probably know that. If you were in Sunday school like I was, and you sang, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord, right hand, left hand, right hand. Anyway, that just takes me back to a time forgotten. Anyway, this all happened in Genesis chapter 12 when God tapped Abraham on the shoulder. It's just Abram at the time and said, I got a plan for you. Listen to Abraham, or excuse me, to Genesis chapter 12, the first part. 
The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left as the Lord had told him. Now here's the deal. Abraham was already what we would consider to be an old man when God tapped him on the shoulder and gave him this call. He was already 75 years old. Think about that. He'd already been retired for 10 years, already been collecting Social Security and living on Medicare for 10 years when God called him. That's pretty surprising. And one of the things that God said to him, one of the promises God made to him was that he was going to use him to create a new nation, a great nation. That probably surprised Abraham because as we read, he needed to have a son, but he and his wife Sarah were childless. Now, that means Abraham had to persist in faith as he waited for God to bless them with a son. If you know the story, you know that Abraham along the way got impatient. He tried to take matters into his own hands and have a son with one of his wife's handmaidens, but ultimately that wasn't God's plan. So ultimately he had to persist in his faith, and in the end God blessed he and Sarah with a son, a son named Isaac. But if you know the story, here's what you know. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. Let that sink in for just a minute. Good thing he was on Medicare because it could help with the hospital expenses and the psychiatric expenses that would come along with that. He was 100 years old. I have a friend that I went to school with in Oklahoma that I've stayed in touch with over the years, and she didn't get married until later in life, and then it took a little while for her to get pregnant, but then the Lord blessed she and her husband with twins, a boy and a girl. She's the same age I am. She's 60 years old and has twins that are in middle school. That sounds like a nightmare to me. How about you? That sounds like a nightmare to me. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born, but he persisted in faith and he believed God even when he didn't see or understand the promises of God. All those years when he, he, he had those words of God ringing in his head, I'm going to bless you and make you into a great nation. He knew he needed a son in order for that to happen. Ultimately, Abraham lived till he was 175 years old. He wasn't a perfect man. He made lots of mistakes along the way, but he was a man who persisted in Faith, because faith and persistence are inseparably linked. And that's what we learn just by use of that simple word, therefore, in the beginning of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. The second thing, remember I told you there's three things I see in these verses about the power of faith. The second thing I see about the power of faith is the author of Hebrews as he talks about the power of persistence, uses the analogy of running a race with perseverance. Look back at Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Therefore, we just talked about that. That took us back to Hebrews chapter 11. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that's all those men and women who live by faith. That's that great cloud of witnesses, men like Abraham that we're surrounded by. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And here it is. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The power of persistence is so significant that God inspired the writer of Hebrews to use the illustration of a race, running a race to drive home the point of persistence. And make no mistake, he's not talking about some 40-yard or 100-yard dash. He's talking about a long-distance run. How do we know that? Well, you, you look back at verse 
1 there in Hebrews chapter 12, I would want you to put your finger on or underline or circle or highlight the word perseverance. At the end of the verse, he says, let us run with perseverance, another word for persistence. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. In the original language of the New Testament, that's the Greek word hupamone. And literally translated, that word hupamone, you can see it here on the screen, it means steadfast, constant, and enduring. In other words, it means let's run the race with persistence. Let's be steadfast in running. Let's be constant in running. Let's endure the running of the race. There's great power in persistence, friends. The third thing I see about the power of persistence in these three verses is the example of Jesus. Write that down somewhere in your intro, the example of Jesus. Listen, I'm not a runner. Even if you can't what I do at my house on the treadmill, I'm not a runner. But I do know that in running, just like in pretty much every sport, where you look as you run is extremely important because nothing's going to throw off your stride or hinder your progress or slow you down when you're running more than looking down or looking around or looking behind you. And so to drive this point home, the author of Hebrews uses Jesus as an example, and as he uses Jesus as an example, what he does is he emphasizes Jesus's forward-looking persistence, his forward-looking persistence as he runs the race that's set out for him. You see that in verses 2 and 3. He says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Now, note this, who for the joy set before him, everyone say before him, before him, before him, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. He says Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. That word author there in the original language of the New Testament is the Greek word archegos. It means pioneer or originator. But if you study the word in the New Testament, you see that it has different meanings depending on the context where it's used. They're all, all those meanings are fundamental to that idea of, of a pioneer or originator but it has different meanings dependent upon the context in which it's used. And the context, the meaning for the context of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 and 3 is that Jesus is our chief example. As we go through life, He's our chief example. As we run whatever race is set out before us, Jesus and the way He ran the race that was set out before Him is our chief example. And Jesus was always looking forward. He was always looking at what was ahead of him because he knew the importance and the power of persistence. And he persisted in that race all the way to the cross. There's power in persistence. God understands the power of persistence. Now, here's what I want to do. Having said that, having spent some time just going through the three verses. We didn't do it as in detail as we could have, but I think we did it pretty clearly. What I want to do is I want to spend the rest of my time being really practical with you about how to be persistent. Because here's the deal. I don't think most of us have a problem understanding the reason why we should persist as we go through life. Where we have a problem most of the time is finding the motivation to persist as we go through life. We understand the power of persistence, but sometimes we struggle with the motivation to be 
persistent. Whatever it is that we're pursuing, it's the motivation that usually gives us the problem. And so I'm going to close with three simple practical truths uh, that you need to know and understand if you're going to really embrace and experience the power of persistence in your life. Now, this is the part of the outline where you can take notes. And so if you're taking notes, write down next to number one. Here's the first thing you've got to do. You've got to understand the why of persistence. Write that down. If you're going to experience the power of persistence in your life, you've got to understand the why of persistence in your life. I don't know who it was that came up with this statement. I just know it's true. If you have a big enough why, you'll figure out how. Read that with me. If you have a big enough why, you'll figure out how. That's a really powerful statement. And we know this is true from God's perspective because of what we just read in particular in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. Remember, in verse 2, the Hebrew writer said, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, and here's the why for Jesus, for the joy set before him endured or persisted the cross, scorning its shame, and here's another part of the why, and sat down, or she man, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus persisted in his, in his life to the cross because he understood the why, because he understood what would happen if he, if he fulfilled the purpose that he came into the world to fulfill. If he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, he knew as a result he would experience the exaltation of God. He knew as a result he would be seated at the right hand of God. And the Bible talks about that in some powerful ways. Seated, exalted at the right hand of God, the name uh, above all names, a name to which eventually every knee would bow and every tongue would confess, right? That was his why. Jesus came in the world primarily to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. He said that of himself. He said, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's Mark chapter 10 and verse 44. And he persisted all the way to the cross because he, he had a big enough why. Now, we know that there were times, at least there was one time in Jesus' life when he struggled with persisting all the way to the cross, right? When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was praying, what did he say? He said in his humanity, as he anticipated the, the, the pain, the humiliation, the agony, the suffering of the cross, he said, Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. What is he talking about? If there's any other way to do this, don't, don't let it be on the cross. But then he followed that up by saying, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done, right? And Jesus was able in his humanity to do what God sent him in the world to do because he had a big enough why? Now, having said that, here's what I want to challenge you to do. I want you, as you're sitting there, to take a minute and think of some part of your life where you need to demonstrate persistence, some area in your life where right now, in January of 2019, you need to make the commitment to persist. And then I want you to ask yourself this question. After you've identified that, I want you to ask yourself this question. Why? Why do you need to persist? Why in that one area, and I'm sure there's more than one for all of us, but let's just think about one. Why in that one area do I need to persist? Do I need to experience the power of persistence? Why is success in that part of my life so important? What's the benefit? What's the reward? What will be the outcome, not just for me, but maybe for multiple people? We have an all-staff lunch every month, the third Wednesday of every month. It's the only time during the month that we all are able to be together in one setting. We do it across the street at the Student Ministry Center, and 
we have a lunch catered in. We sit around tables. We just enjoy some fellowship with each other. And when it's over, usually I'll get up and do a teaching time or, some, or share some kind of a challenge. Since it was the beginning of the new year a couple of weeks ago uh, in our January luncheon, I thought I would share a challenge with my staff related to the different benefits that we offer them as a part of their employment here. But their benefits that require their participation. And the one I talked to them about in particular was a benefit we offer them that helps them save money, but it requires their participation as well. And they talked about that great verse from Proverbs 13, 11 that we've talked about so many times over the years, dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. He who gathers money little by little makes it grow. And I challenged them to make sure that they were involved in saving money for the future, taking advantage of what we offered them to save money for the future. I've told them I've been saving money consistently every month since I was 22 years old because there was a man in my very first church who took an interest in me, and he taught me about the power of compounding interest using a little book called The Richest Man in Babylon. I still have the book upstairs in my library on my shelf. I didn't understand that until he sat down and talked with me, and that set me on a journey where I saved money consistently every single month uh, since I was 22 years old. Now, there were a lot of times in my early uh, life as an adult where I didn't make very much money, and it would have been easy for me to say, you know, I can't afford to save that money this month. I need to use that money to benefit myself or benefit my family in some other way. But because of his teaching to me, I have always had a very clear perspective about the why of saving. He helped me to learn that you could save a lot of money over the course of your life, even if you don't make very much money, if you take advantage of the power of compounding interest. And it's my understanding of the why, the reason why it's important to save money, to prepare for the future, plan for the future, that always helped me figure out how. Now, that's just one example from my life. Let me ask you, what would it be for you? We need to embrace persistence, the power of persistence, because we understand the ultimate value that it brings to our lives. Why do you need to save money? Why do you need to lose weight? Why do you need to pay more attention to your health? Why do you need to be in church more consistently? Why do you need to be involved in studying the Bible? Why do you need a daily personal quiet time with God? And on and on and on. If you have a big enough why, you'll figure out how. And just in case you ha need another motivation for persistence in your life, how about this? The Bible says that persistence is pleasing to God. Look at these words on the screen from Proverbs 24, 16. The proverb writer says, For though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again, but the wicked are brought down by calamity. Though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. Persistence is pleasing to God. And what do you think God is looking for in our lives, righteousness or wickedness? That's a no-brainer, right? Righteousness or wickedness. He wants us to be righteous, and God's pleased when we demonstrate the qualities of righteousness. And one of the qualities of righteousness that we might not think of in the beginning is the quality of persistence. Though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. Persistence, if you have a big enough why... If being persistent pleases God, if you have a big enough why, you'll figure out how. Here's the second thing, right down next to number two. Not only do we need to understand the why of persistence, we need to understand the how of persistence, the how of persistence. You know, there's an old saying that says that the definition of insanity is to keep doing the same thing 
over and over again, hoping for a different result. I'm sure you've heard that before. So here's a good question. What's the difference between insanity and persistence? Let me tell you the difference. Persistence isn't just doing the same thing over and over again. Persistence is having the same goal over and over again. Not just doing the same thing over and over again. It's having the same goal over and over again. Let me, let me ask you to do something. I want you to hold your place in Hebrews chapter 12. You know, not everybody has to do this, but it will bless me if I can hear some pages turning back to the left in your Bibles until you get to John chapter 21. John chapter 21, that's the last chapter. I think, is that, is that right? Yeah, that's the last chapter in the Gospel of John. And there's a brief little story uh, at the beginning of the chapter that I want to use to illustrate uh, the how, understanding the how of persistence. Uh, begins in verse 1, and, and I'm going to read down through verse 6. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples. And so everybody look up here. So Jesus is risen from the dead. He's already had post-resurrection appearances to the disciples. And this is yet another one before he returns ultimately to glory, Okay. So verse 1, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples, not all the disciples, by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. How many of you ever had that experience when you went fishing? You caught nothing. Somebody says, Pastor, do you like to fish? I say, no, I like to catch if you can guarantee me we're going to go catching, I'm all in. But if we're just going to go fishing, I think I'd rather stay home. How I many of you feel me? You know what I'm talking about today. It's just no fun, okay? All right. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. Verse 6. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in, because of the large number of fish. Let me ask you a question. What's Jesus doing here? Well, basically, let's just boil it down to real simple terms. Basically, he's telling the disciples, try again, which is another way to say, be persistent. But this time he's saying, try again, but do it a little different. And here's my point. When you look at what the disciples were doing that day in fishing, and what Jesus said to them, the goal didn't change. You know, the goal from the beginning was to catch fish. The strategy didn't change. They went to their boats. They went to the uh, Sea of Tiberias, which is the Sea of Galilee, which is the Lake of Gennesaret. It's, used, it's called different names in the New Testament. What changed was, you could say, the method. The method changed. And as a result, where they didn't have success before, all of a sudden they've had this incredible success. Let's think about our lives once again. And let me ask you a question. As we think about the power of persistence, what are you pursuing in your life because you understand the ultimate benefit, you understand the ultimate reward, you understand the why behind what you're doing, what you're trying to do? What are you pursuing in your life because you understand the ultimate benefit and reward, but honestly, if you're to be honest, you're, you're struggling to find success. Well, here's what I think we should learn from this story. Don't give up, but maybe think about a different way to do it, okay? 
And let's just use the illustration of having a personal devotional life. Every day you spend time alone with God, quiet time with God, just you and God. You block out all the distractions of the world and you just pursue God. You just pursue your relationship with God. That's what you're, that's what you're trying to do. Whether it's five minutes a day, 15 minutes a day, 30 minutes a day, an hour a day, whatever, whatever you've got time for, let's just talk about your personal devotional life. Maybe you're struggling in that. And maybe you're feeling guilty at the end of every day because you realize, oh, I didn't do it today or, or it was less than satisfactory today or, or whatever. Well, maybe, the time, maybe it's time for you to, to say, I'm not going to give up on that, but I'm going to try to find a different way to do it. Maybe you've been trying to do it early in the morning, first thing in the morning. And the truth is you're not a morning person. Well, you know what? There's no shame in that. Maybe you think, well, Jesus, the Bible says Jesus got up early in the morning and he spent time alone with God. Yeah, Jesus did that, but that doesn't mean you have to do it that way. What God's interested this time in is time alone with you more than the time of day that it happens. And so maybe you need to find another time of the day to do it. Maybe the problem is you're getting alone with God and just you in an open Bible and you're just trying to read the Bible together. Now let me ask you a question. You ever sit down to read the Bible and all of a sudden you kind of feel like you're going through the motions of reading, but your mind is somewhere else? That happens to us all the time. How about when you pray? How many times when you bow to pray, and man, you're focused, and you know what you're going to pray about, but all of a sudden, your mind, and you realize that, and it's like, oh, God, I am so sorry. I am a spiritual slug. Nobody is worse than me. And you find yourself apologizing to God. Well, maybe what you need to do is you need to get, instead of just your Bible, and I would never, I, you know I love the Bible, and I understand the value of the Bible. Maybe you just need to get a good biblically-based devotional book where something is guiding and directing you and your reading and your thoughts, and at the end, literally gives you specific things to pray about, and that's how you start. Maybe the problem is you're doing it by yourself, and you need accountability, and you need to do it with somebody else. Maybe husbands and wives need to do this together. Set a time during the day when you do this together. You would think for husbands and wives to pray together would be a natural thing, but I'm here to tell you that it's not. And in a lot of marriages, there's a big struggle when it comes to husbands and wives praying together. If you're the exception to that, then that's awesome. Maybe you just need to find another way to do it. Don't give up. There's power in persistence. But maybe you just need to, to use the words of the story, maybe you need, whatever it is you're trying to do, maybe you need to find a way to throw your net on the right side of the boat instead of the left side because that's where you'll find some success. You need to understand the why of persistence. You need to understand the how of persistence. And the third thing you need to understand, by the way, you know, I mean, we understand the how of persistence and the need to do something different when we're failing. Can I just tell you something real quickly and be real honest with you and transparent for a moment? The reason why we're rolling out this One Life initiative is because when it comes to reaching people who are a long way from God as a church, you know what? We're failing. We're failing. We're a great church in so many different ways, but we get a little bit inwardly focused and we're not, we're not thinking about people who are not living in a right relationship with God. Sometimes we think more about what we like and what makes us comfortable and what we want to pursue rather than pursuing people who are lost. And you know what? People who are lost, who die in that condition will be lost for all eternity. And that's why we're, we had to come to a point where we say, well, listen, we, we, don't, we, we can't give up on this because this is the commission of Jesus to reach lost people, but we need to find a different way to do it. It. And that's why all of us together, we're the outreach strategy for this church. And that's why we need you to make a commitment to the One Life Initiative. Right down next to number three real quickly, we need to understand the when of persistence, the why of persistence, the how of persistence, and the when of persistence. And this is really simple. Everybody look at me. The when of persistence is right now today, not tomorrow, 
Not next week or next month, not after this busy season of life is over, not, not after we get our kids raised. It's right now, right now, today. That's why the Bible says, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and he says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the day to make a commitment to persistence. Here's a great quote by Walter Elliott. He said, perseverance is not a long race. Perseverance just being another word for persistence. It is many races, excuse me, it is many short races, one after another. That's persistence. You just gotta make the commitment every single day. I love these words from Teddy Roosevelt. You've probably heard them before. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbled or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes short again and again, who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, and spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat." There's power in persistence. The Bible says it like this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, considered him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. There's power in persistence.